Welcome, everyone, to a special Directed IRA webinar and Directed IRA podcast episode. I'm Matt Sorensen. I'm going to be joined today in this episode by Jameson Manwaring. He is co-founder, CEO of Neighborhood Ventures. They're a multifamily syndicator, do lots of big multifamily properties here in Arizona. And uh, we've seen a lot of IRAs invest with him over the years, and he's really an expert on analyzing investments. He came from Wall Street working at Goldman Sachs and eventually transitioned into a real estate career. So I thought it'd be helpful for him to come on and talk about that, talk about looking at investments and analyzing that. We'll talk about real estate and stocks and that stuff. So um, we're going to be getting into that today. Now, before we get started, <laughs> I just want to remind everyone, this is meant to be educational in nature, okay? This does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. This is not financial or investment advice. This is simply an educational webinar. Even though Jameson's here and he has funds and stuff that people invest in, trust me, this is not a solicitation for him. I don't know. Do your due diligence, research him. Frankly, I don't even know how the investments are doing. I just interact with Jameson. We know him and know he's an expert on what we want to talk about today. So um, do your own due diligence. And um, that's just, you know, Attorney Matt coming out here at the beginning boring Matt, but um, he can go away now. We'll get back to fun Matt. Um, so just a little bit about me. I am CEO at Directed IRA, Directed Trust Company. If you didn't know, we have over 10,000 accounts, a billion in assets invested in alternative assets like real estate, private companies, private funds, notes, crypto, all these cool things that people want to invest in. You can actually use an IRA and that's what we're doing here every day at Directed IRA. Best company in terms of customer service in the industry. We have competitive fees there's pretty much nowhere else you want to be. So you can learn more about us at directedira.com if you're still learning about us and self-directing. Um, now, I want to talk about Jameson's background here. We'll bring him on and cut him in. We had a little difficulty with the audio in the live broadcast, so I just want to give a little background about him. Um, so Jameson basically started on Wall Street out of college. He was uh, an equity analyst at Goldman Sachs, analyzing particularly the tech industry. And this was at a time, and tech stocks still are very volatile, of where tech stocks were going up and down. And, and Jameson's job was basically to say, buy, hold, or sell, right? And they would put ratings from Goldman Sachs on these stocks on whether to buy, hold, and sell. And obviously, in order to do that, they would take a ton of analysis into account in looking at those stocks and deciding do we think people should buy this, hold it, or sell it? So um, he had gained an excellent perspective in terms of looking at stocks, looking at risk and reward, and those types of factors. Now, one of the things he learned, and he, he explains this story, is you know, tech stocks had a lot of volatility. What he ended up doing with money he was making in Wall Street was he started buying real estate for himself. And everyone he was working with was like, Jameson, what are you doing? You're buying real estate? And it was interesting from his experience that a lot of people on Wall Street barely knew about buying real estate like yourself. Like they might know about buying a publicly traded real estate company, but like how do you actually do it yourself and buy an investment property and get tenants and all those things, whether it's retail or commercial or multifamily or single family, whatever it is. And so um, what Jameson realized is he really liked uh, real estate as an investment asset. And one of the key things, what we started off our conversation with was really there are three factors to consider when investing. And there are three factors in kind of your quote unquote investment analysis to look at. The first is risk. Obviously, some investments have more risk than others. For example, 
crypto would be on the high risk side, right? You could have, you could buy some crypto coin that you know could go way high and has a huge reward, but it could also go to zero. On the other hand, you could have a less risky asset, like a very established Fortune 500 company that's been around for years that has products people buy every day, less risky. Or you could have an actual hard asset like real estate that's physical, that's not going anywhere, that you could rent out and someone will pay you rent on, or that you could sell, you know, someone for a gain at some point. So each of those different assets has a different risk profile to it and different rewards that can come from it. A startup company, we have lots of clients who invest in startups with their IRAs. Now, a startup company, if you think about it, that has a huge reward, right? Everyone's hoping to buy, you know, Amazon before it was a big company or Uber or whatever it is at a dollar a share. And then all of a sudden it's publicly traded and it's a thousand dollars a share, right? They want that 1000 X return. Okay. That does happen in the startup world, but you know what else happens in the startup world? Companies go to zero and you get nothing. And so there's a risk and reward that you have to analyze there when looking at your assets. And so We'll talk about that, and I think kind of one of the things Jameson now doing multifamily real estate primarily, one of the things he likes about it, and the key is going to be his conversation about cash flow, frankly. So that's that's what we're going to get into there. And that's really the second part to analyze here. So we've got risk is the first, cash flow is the second. Now, cash flow can happen in a number of ways. If you're buying stock, and what most people might know from the stock market is you get a dividend. Now, some stocks produce dividends, and they will pay out. Other stocks like high growth companies, like a tech stock, for example, typically does not pay a dividend. Even Apple pays a very, very low dividend relative to its share price. And so now some stocks that have been around for a long time or or companies that try to attract investors will pay a high dividend because they're looking for people who want to own that stock for the dividend it pays, not necessarily the appreciation of the stock going up in value. So you want to look at the dividend yield on stocks to, to learn about what's the cash flow I'm making. Now, the third component from investment analysis to look at is going to be resale value. Now, when we look back at cash flow, I was mentioning dividend, of course, with stock. And for real estate, it's pretty cut and dry, right? What's the cash flow on rental income, right? I don't care if it's commercial or multifamily or single family. I've got rents. I've got my expenses. What's my cash flow I'm making? What's the spread of profit I'm making every month in terms of my rental cash flow? But it eventually on the real estate or stock, we are looking at resale value. Is this thing going to go up over time in value, whether it's real estate going up in value or it's stock going up in value? And now with all different asset classes, and this could be anything, This think, think of a promissory note, right? Well, the promissory note has cash flow because it has an interest rate on it. If I loan someone money at 8%, well, I'm getting 8% cash flow, but I might also be able to sell that note Right? I could also sell that note to someone else who's willing to pay for it right now and buy me out of it because they want the stream of cash flow in the future. Similar how a bond may work if you're, if you're buying bonds. So resale value and what I can sell this asset for in the future is the third component. And a lot of people will focus on resale value in particular because that's where you can have a huge upside. Now, resale value is more speculative. Cash flow is more certain on real estate. You can calculate it better. Now it's not guaranteed. Even on a stock that pays dividends, you can look at that over time and say, what is the dividend they typically pay? And you can kind of average it out to know, like, what can I reasonably expect based on what they've done over the last five years, three years, whatever time period you want to look at. Resale value on stock and in real estate is much more speculative. So 
when you're banking on resale value, that's going to increase your risk as well. Now, there's some other factors to consider there, some tax benefits and everything like that. Of course, we love buying assets in our IRA here and, of course, the Roth IRA in particular because it comes out totally tax-free on the way out. As I'm buying assets and I get that resale value and that asset appreciates, I don't got to worry about paying Uncle Sam. That gets to grow and build up on my retirement account. And then the Roth accounts come out tax-free. And, of course, in the traditional accounts comes out tax-deferred. So we're going to cut in here to my conversation with Jameson, though, where we started focusing on cash flow and why he likes real estate and in particular multifamily. All the buzz, you know, has been real estate is a hedge against inflation. You know, I mean, I'm 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 pushing that buzz, too. I, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a true believer on that. But everybody, you know, make your own decisions, of course. Um, so but but multifamily seems to be even better because. Rent prices go up, you know, yeah. rent rates go up like that. Leases renew and rents go up. And if cost of home ownership's gone up, interest rates are going up. Well, that means rents get, can go up. I mean, those two right. markets compete. Yeah, and, and, and so, rents are up about 20% in a year. So yeah. inflation's up. So your assets that you bought like two years ago, three years, I mean, you're probably like, I mean, your leases are renewing. You're probably like, inflation ain't so bad. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it's a good hedge. You yeah. know, it, um, inflation has some other negative impacts, including, you know, Fed coming in and raising interest rates, right. which can affect your debt and the resale value of a property. But yeah. it's a great hedge, especially when we're looking at generating cash flow. We're seeing in the last year rate rents are up on average in the mm-hmm. nationwide 20%, yeah. which outpaces inflation yeah, because right? inflation's up about 9%. So um, you, there are so many things that we love about multifamily. Um, yeah. On the other side, you know, our retail project, they're in 10 year leases and they have increases mm. in those lease payments over time, but they're yeah. preset yeah. increases. So, you know, with, with rent uh, for your home every six months or, or a year, somebody is moving out, ten, the, yeah. the, the rates tend to, to go up. And as an, a, an investor, you can move them up. So I really love multifamily in an inflationary market. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's hit a couple. Let's go to some of these slides. I want to look at come at some of the common definitions on um, looking at an investment asset um, and trying to make sense of it. And so I just grabbed some of these. I'm going to just give a, these quick examples. So there's something called rate of return. And one common way is just your annual rate of return. So rate of return could be used in any time period, but let's just say it's in one year. So, I mean, I just have a stock example there. You buy 100,000 of Apple stock, you get 2,000 in dividends, right? The stock's paying you a little bit of dividend. Um, it goes up to 108,000, so you have an 8,000 increase in the value. But over that year, you really had $10,000 of increased value between the dividend and the appreciation. So you multiply that by the so you, you uh, divide that by the original cost and you come out with what the percent is which for your rate of return, which in this example is 10%. And so you're basically taking what's my value increase, dividing it by your initial purchase of the asset, and you multiply it by 100 to get your to get this 10% ratio. If you look at real estate, it works in the same way. And again, I just kept this as an annual example here, but you know, if you're getting $200,000, you buy a property for 200. Now, one of the things about real estate is that might be, that might've been an $800,000 property, right? I, I'm just saying, this is your cash invested on the real estate. So you have that $200,000 invested. And then um, let's say you had 10,000 in cash flow 
Um, this is after expenses, so you got to have real numbers here. Obviously, there's money going out, so this is after expenses. And the property goes up in value. So, again, we're going back into a, taking into account appreciation of value and any cash flow off the asset in stock and in real estate. So, the same example here, you know, you have a t- 10% rate of return. Yeah. And with, with stocks, most stocks that certainly tech stocks that are growing do not pay dividends. Yeah. Um, I think Apple does pay a small dividend. You can buy some more. Is that um, a bad example, Jameson? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I did actually look up Apple yeah. and I, they, were, they did pay. They, it wasn't that much though. <laughs> and they have, they actually have so much cash that yeah. <laughs> they have to start paying dividends. They don't, I don't know. know why. Look, they, they retain so much cash. Yeah. What are they doing with it? Um, and, you know, for a company like them that's so innovative, they want to try to right, invest, invest internally, but they just have too much to, to deal with. Um, but most growing companies are just going to be reinvesting capital in the business. They don't want to yeah. send it out to shareholders. So a lot of stocks I covered, in fact, none of the stocks I covered paid a dividend. Yeah. And uh, it's all capital appreciation which is another way for saying the only way you make money is when you sell the stock. Yeah. So if you have a long-term hold on a prop on a stock, uh, at the end of the day to ever make money on it, you have to probably sell the stock, which right. is kind of a bummer because oh, I like that stock. I like that company. Real estate's great because you can really like a piece of property and it's going to generate cash flow for you, 5, 6%, 7%, sometimes higher than that. Uh, sometimes less than that, depending on how you operate it and all you know all the details. But you don't have to sell it to generate income, yeah. and it's generating um, more value for you as time goes on. It appreciates. You're paid yeah. out on the loan, etc. Right. So I think you. That's why in, why real estate was so appealing to me personally. Yeah. Um, because it had both of those aspects. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's important. And, and the way, way I look at it with uh, just real simply is, yeah, you got cash flow, then you have appreciation yeah. and that both of those uh, equal your total return that yeah. you're going to get on that asset. And you mentioned something earlier about the loan and paying down the loan. So when I'm giving that example of cash flow, those expenses, what I might be considering an expense, might actually be paying down principal. Sure. You know, if you depending on how you're running your numbers, if you're considering pay down of principal as an expense, that's actually benefiting you. So I would have another increase of value of debt pay down that's helping me get a greater rate of return. Because now I owe less, so now I have more equity and value in the property if I were to yeah. sell it. Yeah, and I from uh, commercial real estate, we tend to do um, – interest only loans. Okay. And so that isn't as much of, a, of an it. impact, but a, a lot of folks who own your own property, you tend yeah. to just kind of calculate that as a, as an expense, but at the same yeah. time you're paying that loan down. Yeah. And you know, sometimes pretty significantly if you own a property for 10 or 15 years. Okay. All right. Um, and there's some tax benefits there too. I don't know. You know, of course you guys know here with retirement accounts and even main street business podcasts that we do and all the, real estate we talk about, there's a lot of tax benefits to owning real estate, but I don't want to get too far into this. I just want to look, kind of look at this from an asset standpoint. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of details there uh, to dig into, but I think you've covered it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've got the other thing to look at is um, another factor is return on investment. Guys, this is like the exact same thing. Um, the difference with um, return on investment is this, you know, uh, you're basically doing the same thing. What is my return and what was my cost to purchase it? 
and you're getting a, a number at the end of the day on, on that value. So I, I run some numbers here. You can just look at the examples there on the stock and real estate example. Um, that's going to show you my ROI or return on investment. And again, on real estate, I'm only looking at the cash invested. So here in the example, just on, on the real estate, I bought a rental for 200K. It gave me 40000 in cash flow after expenses. And let's say this is a five-year period. Okay, I'm not talking about this is an annual return period. This is five years. Let's say the property went up 80000 in value. That's a $120,000 increase. That's my return divided by the original cost, 200000 That's a 60% return on investment. You know what I love about this is this is division, little addition, some <laughs> multiplication. This isn't, this isn't complicated. Right. Um, you don't need a calculator. I mean, yeah, well, you could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did the easy numbers yeah. there. But <laughs> um, the first time you look at it, it's a little bit of like a head scratcher, but managing um, investments does not have to be complicated. So I love how you put this together. It's yeah. easy. Um, okay. We can share those now. So I think that like, um, Remember, at the end of the day, I mean, you want to have the highest rate of return or highest return on investment. So as Jameson was talking, you know, back in the analyst days, it's sell. So why would you sell something? Like what would what would be – why would you recommend to sell something even back in that days or even now for yourself with your own real estate portfolio? Yeah, and real estate's a little bit of a different animal than stocks. Uh, stocks okay. tend to be more volatile. There's more um, up and down. Okay. As we've seen this year, Probably easier to get out of and into that, that's that. And that, that does feed into some of the up and down. Some of the volatility yeah. Yeah, is, yeah. is there's some herd mentality and people start seeing a stock that's, that has some negative news and they can sell. And now the value yeah. has gone down. Um, what one word we use is a catalyst. So catalyst is what could either drive a value of an asset up or down. So just think, you know, an, an obvious one was COVID. Yeah. And the shutdown, uh, when the, when everything got shut down for three months, that's a cattle, that was a catalyst, positive catalyst for many stocks Yeah, for many, uh, real estate assets. Yeah. And it was a negative catalyst for others. And so as you, as you look at, uh, and try to predict, you know, you, what's going to happen in your portfolio right now, we know yeah. some things are likely going to happen over the next, you know, year to, to 18 months what catalyst could either drive our asset values up or down. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so one example with real estate is when, when that happened, when COVID happened, retail real estate, it was a negative catalyst because yeah. we were concerned the restaurants were all going to shut down. If there wasn't government intervention, they can't pay their, their, their leases. They're going to have to close. What ended up actually happening was, Restaurants did all right through the, yeah. the two or three months it was closed. And then they boomed after because they, they, um, op they had now created drive throughs right. They created delivery. delivery. And yeah. And uh, they, they did it. There was a huge shortage of uh, workers. <laughs> yeah. But restaurants actually did okay uh, and they got through it. And now retail, it's, it's booming. Yeah. You, especially if you have a drive through yeah. Now that trend has stayed. And, um, and then on the other side of it, office, um, mm -hmm. we didn't know exactly what would happen with office. And now it looks like office is going to be down about 10 to 15% in the, in the, uh, demand of office going forward. It's yeah. kind of how it's settling out because now more people are comfortable working from home. Yeah. And then the last example there is, 
multifamily, we didn't know what would happen, yeah. but people stayed in the home, in their properties and they paid their mortgage or their, their rent first mm -hmm. before anything else. The collections were almost as high as before it happened. Yeah. And then shortly after we saw what happened with real estate as people decided, I want to actually live in a place that I enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to live, you know, in some of these uh, states yeah. where there's a lot of restrictions. That's a, an easy example of a, of a potential catalyst that can drive a stock up or down. And, and so it's not just looking at, at where this, an asset is, but it's looking a little bit ahead and having a prediction on what's going to happen and could drive it up or down. Yeah. Now, I think in the stock market, this has always been something where I feel like I'm at an unfair advantage because I could look at that and I could be like, okay, um, I believe some of these trends and I'm going to, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and invest in this trend. And I'm going to, you know, let's COVID hits. Let's say, I think healthcare stocks are going to go up right. because all the healthcare companies and all these demand for services and people are going to be in the doctor's office more because they got COVID or other complications from it. So I'm, that's going to be a driving catalyst. And so I go invest in that. But the thing with the stock market for me, sometimes this is why I love self-directing is well, there's a million other people already doing that. And there's a bunch of money with billion, people with billions of dollars already doing that the same day they can do it with a click of a button. And it's kind of been, I don't know, commoditized might not be the right word, but it's, it's harder to have a competitive advantage and to know because it's already got priced up. You know, I feel like people see those, those catalysts that are clear. Well, that's already way price that, that's already a high price. <laughs> it happens all the time. So they call it, it's already priced in. Okay. Right. So a uh, company has great earnings results Yeah. and you're thinking, okay, the stock's going to pop tomorrow and it's down because it was already priced in the stock. Yeah. Okay. And you and me and average uh, people that have our day-to-day -day lives, yeah. we can't stay ahead of all of that. You know, yeah. that's why there's a whole industry of, of uh, professionals who are doing that. And so if yeah. you're going to beat them, yeah. uh, if you're going to win in the stock market, you kind of have to be ahead of them. And it, it is yeah. really difficult. Or have and, a counterintuitive read on it that's kind of counter to what the, the trend is that most people presume is going to happen, but you feel strongly differently and you kind of beat them, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think I think that's a great way to win. And if you're correct, yeah. you will win. Right. right? Um, and if you're out there all on your own, <laughs> so <laughs> you're not yeah, and, like and those that bought GameStop stock or something, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> having having done it and kind of seeing how the sausage is made, yeah, I started investing in commercial real estate with the yeah. little money that I was being able to put away. I was um, not interested in putting it in the the stocks that I was covering, yeah, or or stocks that I understood well, even though yeah. I was right in it, yeah. Um, because, uh, it didn't match my, um, temperament. Mm -hmm. I like steady, uh, <laughs> I don't want to lose my money. I want to preserve my money yeah. and I want to see it continue to grow. And it just didn't match that, um, that those stocks and that strategy. So I began as an analyst, I, it was funny telling my team, Hey, I just bought a, uh, commercial building, uh, 12 unit building. Uh -huh. And they're like, why would you do that? And they they knew nothing about real estate. Yeah. They were stock people. And I said, well, you know, my dad's a real estate guy. I've always been, been yeah. interested in real estate. And they were kind of like, now tell me about that. Yeah. You know, how's that work? And yeah. um, 
you know, it, uh, that, that's what got me to where I am today. I am much more suited for an asset that continues to, to grind it out yeah. versus trying to get ahead of, uh, the market and, and beat the market. Okay. All right. Let's, let's move over to real estate and some of the stuff you're up to now. So, um, neighborhood ventures, um, you had already been buying some real estate on your own, right? And I know you have some other stuff, but that probably in real estate, but then now you have neighborhood ventures. Explain to me why you guys started that um, and the type of properties you're doing. And then we can kind of get into some of your slides too on it. Yeah. So I came out to uh, Phoenix to join LifeLock running oh, their right. investor relations. They were a company I worked on their, their IPO, stayed uh, involved with them, covered them as a yeah. a- analyst, wrote research okay. on them. So I got to know the CEO and Did CFO quite well. Did you recommend well. to buy them? I was a big buyer. They wouldn't have hired you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not hiring an analyst uh, like a sell, sell, sell. <laughs> No, no, that, that, that's very true. There is a co- conflict of interest there. They were always misunderstood by analysts in our yeah. opinion, um, by, by professionals because yeah. they, they kind of saw it as a little bit of a wild west company. Yeah. And in some ways it was, uh, but we still thought the fundamentals were good and, and that proved out, but mm-hmm. joined them. We ended up, I joined them about $8 a share and we ended uh. up selling a year and a half later for $24 a share. Okay. I wanted uh, to stay with them for a long time, but uh, someone came in and bought us. It was actually a big cybersecurity company out of California came in and bought us and, and yeah. folded us in. And um, I had, I had done that side real estate deal. I wanted to do more of that. And I decided to uh, do another project similar to that. And then, you know, at some point with, with real estate, it is a cash intensive business. So anyone who, who owns, you know, one property who's, who's doing it direct. Yeah. You know that, you know, you can save up a couple hundred thousand dollars and it's into one property. So, um, I be, we began looking at new creative ways to try to raise capital, to pool capital yeah. so that we could go and scale up a business and uh, buy more multifamily mm-hmm. uh, assets. And crowdfunding was uh, uh, something that was new. There were new laws passed that yeah. allowed it. And um, I met my uh, now co-founder who had a lot of real estate expertise and really loved the idea of taking crowdfunding to a new audience of investors. Yeah. Um, just to kind of uh, back up a little bit, prior to crowdfunding laws, you had to be a wealthy accredited investor to participate in, yeah. in you know, partnerships of yeah. uh, investing in, in apartment buildings. And yeah, you had like a million dollar net worth, 250,000 yeah. annual income, or 200, 300,000 married yeah. or single. So, and typically like 50,000 minimum investment. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and that was kind of what the industry has done for years. So it was very small group of people who could participate in that. And so we, we launched Neighborhood Ventures with the idea to allow anyone to invest in real estate with a thousand dollar investment. And so fast forward five years, you know, we have 5,000 investors on our platform. Now they're all in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're, uh, we've recently launched some projects nationwide to to begin to grow outside of Arizona, but we've bought uh, apartment buildings um, that um, were in good locations, but they were underperforming. Mm -hmm. And so we go in and have a plan to, uh, renovate the properties, maybe add a washer and dryer, maybe add uh, certain amenities. Uh, and uh, some of these properties haven't been renovated for 40 years yeah. owned by the same person. So we, we buy them, go in, put a big capital infusion 
in, but we have confidence that we're going to get the rents after those properties yeah. are renovated and it's, it's gone really well so far. Okay. All right. So let's go to some of your slides here. I'm going to try and get to your stuff. So, cause we're. Mine's not as uh, complicated as, <laughs> as yours. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to drive here and yeah. then if, if you want to kind of go through yourself, I'm going to be grabbing some questions. Yeah. So if you're throwing questions in the chat or Q and a, um, I know some of the team might be answering some of your questions on accounts, but if you have questions for Jameson, um, or me, um, throw them into, uh, Joanna's going to try and grab them and message them to me here. So. Yeah, I think the, the the first thing is, you know, real estate is in a really uh, volatile state right now, depending on where you're at. And I, I guess maybe the better word is uncertain state. Yeah. Uh, we know what's happening kind of at the level of buying a home. You know, we, we saw a huge run up in values, huge run up in uh, demand, very little supply. And let's talk about how that now impacts owning a, an apartment building, multifamily um, investment with that backdrop. So the first thing is rents are up, as we already alluded to, 17% nationally. In Arizona, they're up about 22%. So some of these other, you know, Miami and, and Florida, Texas, there's some markets that the rents are even higher. That's a lot to do with uh, continued migration mm -hmm. uh, it, out of the, some of the higher cost coastal areas. And then those areas were already growing before, just like Phoenix was. So that continues. The big thing that's happened now is the affordability gap, which is defined by the difference between renting and owning. So if I can rent a property at X and I can purchase a property at Y, um, the difference is the affordability gap. In 2019, before the pandemic, that was about 280 bucks na nationwide. Mm -hmm. So it costs you another $300 to own per month. But you know, mm. you get tax benefits, you get pride of ownership, those other things. Yeah. That it was can a trade-off. Go trade up in value. Can go up in value. Yeah. Uh, 2020, the end of the pandemic year, uh, or the big pandemic year, it had increased by about a hundred bucks. Where we're sitting now is pretty astounding. Thousand dollars. Wow. From cost you a thousand dollars more now to to own than rent. Rents have moved up, but buying a home has gone even up even more. And now with current interest rates, it's a thousand dollars. Cause we kind of had, you kind of, for home ownership, you had the double whammy. You have massive price appreciation and now you have high, in, high interest rates. Yeah. It's like, that's the two things that are going to make it yeah. like unaffordable. <laughs> yeah. And so from an investor standpoint, owning multifamily, there's a lot of room here for rents to continue to move. Right, that affordability gap will will hit an equilibrium at some point, but uh, there is a shortage of housing. We know that mm -hmm. one of the things that's happening this year: there's more multifamily units coming on the market than any time since the 1970s. There's been a glut of of uh, supply that's been sitting there, hasn't been able to get through the system. You know, whether that's delays at the city, delays with construction, delays yeah. with materials. This year. 420,000 new units should be added nationwide, about 20,000 in Phoenix. But there's still a shortage, and it's going to take a few years for that to work itself out. In Phoenix, based on what is is expected to be coming for apartment units, we're still 20,000 short by 2025. So mm -hmm. it's all supply and demand. Real estate is so much supply and demand that there's a shortage of units, 
and that's going to continue to drive uh, rents, can continue to drive uh, uh, the desire to own multifamily mm-hmm. assets also. And then the big uncertainty is with interest rates. What's going to happen with inflation and, and how will that impact interest rates? It it does increase your borrowing costs when you you know uh, either buy a home or buy an apartment building. And when you go to sell that building, that also can have an impact because that new buyer is going to have to pay a higher right. percent. But at the same time, uh, rents, um, and I, I lost that, that slide on that last one, yeah. rents and occupancy are really strong. And then our fundamentals behind multifamily yeah. are wages. What's happening with wages? What's yeah. happening with, un- with un- employment? That's our customer. When you own multifamily, your person who's paying you is that, that consumer. Yeah. And those fundamentals are still really strong. So a lot of things are happening, but multifamily, I think, is positioned well um, as you as and we're in in our the, the word you used before about having a, a view that may be different than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're we're buying core assets in in core locations, central locations that we think are going to continue to have uh, desirability. Um, we're not buying assets in smaller tertiary markets. We yeah. like we like a Phoenix. We like uh, you know downtown, close to uh, light rail, close to mass transit. Yeah, those are the assets that 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 uh, we like right now. Okay, all right. Got some questions coming in here. Um, let's see. This is let's see here. Um, <clears throat> so this is from. Joanne from California. I'm going to read part two of her question first. I'm nearing retirement. If I purchase a rental property, would it make more sense to purchase it outright? Or do I really want to carry a mortgage? What would you say? <laughs> What's your opinion? Um, you know, We're talking I, about an investment, but it's a rental property. Yeah. If you're, if you're nearing retirement and uh, you like that property – I don't think there's anything wrong with paying cash and getting a, you know, 5% cash return on it and uh, sleeping well and not having to deal with a mortgage. Um, we what, are, would you do that though, Jameson? Not at my stage in my life because okay. I, I right. I'm still have a couple decades of, of earnings, but if you're yeah. nearing retirement, um, maybe your calculus is a little different. What we do for our properties, we like to have under 55% debt. Yeah. So that's okay. very conservative that in the industry. Yeah. A lot of a lot of folks will try to lever up to 75, 80, 85. Mm-hmm. Um, might not be a bad idea to put a, a you know 50% debt still is is mm-hmm. very um, considered conservative, I would say, yeah. from an investment standpoint. And then you can maybe put some some money elsewhere. Um, but I'm a little I'm a conservative guy. Yeah, a, you are. We're ca- we're cautious operators. We have one property right now that has very low debt on it. Mm-hmm. We're not we like that. It feels okay. nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. You know, I mean, um, yeah, I've had some clients over the years. I remember one, um, that does mm-hmm. kind of these no debt deals and, um, and they raise money that way. And they're like, no debt. We don't use any debt. And they're like, well, we can pay the bank 5% and where we could keep it. And they're like, we just decide to keep it. It takes more capital to do that. Yeah. Um, obviously, or to even do it at just 50%, you know, but um, especially when rates are going higher, you're actually keeping that. Yeah. Would it otherwise be a five percent expense that's going that's coming off your investment? But Joanne, I think um, 
That's a that's a good question. I mean, my what I would say is I would kind of look at, um, you know, this is the non-expert now talking. So for whatever this is worth, Joanne, <laughs> um, is. I would get some debt on it. Look at what the rates are. They're not, you know, even if it's 5%, five and a half, you know, what you can get on a rental property loan. B, don't, you know, you're not going to get more than 80% of a mortgage anyways, typically on a, on a single family rental. So, um, but then pay attention to the cash flow. Be reasonable about the expenses. Take into account a vacancy factor. You know, this might not be rented for 10% of the time. So that if you think you get a thousand bucks a month and 12,000 in rent, well, maybe you got to take 10% off of that just because there might be times when someone's not there. So, um, but, and then I would consider your other assets, Joanne, like if you have other assets that are liquid, that would help you through retirement, let's say we go into a recession and you're worried about that property, not renting, for example, and having a mortgage, then I could see, you know, if you have other assets that you might feel more comfortable, like you could kind of bail yourself out or weather the storm, so to speak. But or you just, you know, don't do the debt. Like like James said, you're in retirement. Be conservative. Um, okay, this is from Rob, Robelin. I almost want to say rebellion, but uh, Robelin, sorry. Um, I'm getting these cut and pasted from me here to my <laughs> phone. So, um, but Joanna's doing this a good job. She says, I've been thinking about owning rental property in other states. I've been advised to stick with the rental property in my area state. I live in California. It doesn't make sense to purchase here. What are your thoughts about finding good rentals in other states? What do you think? Have you bought anything in California? I haven't bought anything in California. <laughs> um, rentals, if you've never owned uh, a rental, they're a ton of work. Yeah. Uh, you can't neglect them. Uh, they're, they're like a child. So you love them, but they're a lot of work. And uh, I, I wouldn't have a child uh, halfway across the country myself because yeah. it's like uh, I don't want to be a bad parent. School, right? you know? <laughs> so if you're going to do that, you have to hire a property manager, which changes yeah. your whole expenses, uh, expense profile. A lot of times a property manager doesn't want to manage just one unit. Um, there are other options for you to invest in real estate, like invest in a fund, Invest in a, a partnership like what we do, um, where you don't have to be the landlord. Landlording is a lot of work. I don't want to do it. We have a team that does it, and they're yeah. really good at it. It is a lot of work. When you have to evict someone, which you will, that is emotional. It is hard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you got to know what you want to do. And if, if you're going to do that, I, I would prefer to own... Uh, in my backyard and have done that. And, yeah. and that's much more manageable. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've gone through different phases of this myself as I've, I've owned rentals here in Arizona where I live and I can go over and the sink's leaking or there's an <laughs> issue. And on the one hand, I'm like, ah, oh, this is nice. I can take care of it. But after a while I was like, this is not nice that I can take care of it. <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm on YouTube. I'm like trying to figure out how to fix a leaking sink. You know, like I'm the last guy he want there. So, um, but I was like, I got caught in this. Well, I can self-manage it, you know? And eventually I realized, frankly, that my time wasn't worth it and that I'd better be, off, be better off having professionals that could manage it and having it, frankly, a property manager even though it was in my own backyard. Yeah. And then of course, if it's a property, I and I have properties out of state too that I went to because I felt like I could get a better yield, um, a better return, which they've actually done well. But like I definitely have a property manager there because 
And that's where you got to be careful. I say when we're talking about the risks earlier, the out-of-state rental has a lot more risks. It might have more return because it might be in a market that has a better rent, you know, ratio to purchasing power or what you can, you know, what you can buy, but it definitely has more risks. And I've realized this in some of my out-of-state rentals is I don't know the area as much. It might be in this little town that sounds like a good, you know, town, but I didn't know it was actually the crappy part of that town because I'm not there. And, and so there's just little factors you just don't know. And so, um, so, so that does tend to carry more risk. And we have seen more clients that have had bad real estate deals. They've been in cities they don't live in and they've never been to. Yeah. And, and you may even go for a weekend and, and drive around that neighborhood, spend a, a weekend there to get a feel for it. But then when things change in two or three years and you're living in California and it's somewhere else, you're, yeah. you're not involved in that like it is in your backyard. Uh, you know, when, when things change in the area that you live in, you, you tend to, to know that and you can react to it. Um, so it's, it, it's something that, uh, yeah, I think that's a good, good point, man. It's a little bit more risky. Okay. Oh, the questions are flying in now. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> we shouldn't have started asking, doing questions. All right. Let me take one more. Then I'm going to let Jameson hit some of the, maybe a property or two you're working on now or some of the, actually, whatever else you want to cover. We probably do two other points here. I'll let you find your slide. I'm going to go hit a question okay. here. Um, okay. Um, I'll ask you this um, in your deals, Jameson. Um, this is from Sid Ask, how do you pass on depreciation? They said bonus depreciation or cost segregation benefit to your investors in multifamily. Yeah. How so that depreciation is one of the big advantages to owning real estate. And when you own equity, like you do in a partnership with what we do, you get a pa- that pass through uh, to you. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, a lot of your distributions that you're getting for the year are typically offset by what you're depreciating. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a great, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily matter if it's in an IRA because yeah. you get that benefit anyway. Right. Um, but it's, it's a big advantage with, with real estate. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. This is an anonymous attendee asked, um, isn't it much better, less risk to invest in a multi-apartment complex, a hundred plus apartments as a limited partnership rather than much higher risk and associated cost of investment in a two, three, four, five, or six family house. <laughs> a bad tenant is negligible in a 100 plus apartment complex. That's exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, we own one building that's 20 units and when somebody moves out, our occupancy is down to 95%. Yeah. And occupancy um, across Phoenix, across multifamily is 95%. And so yeah. if you get two people move out, now you're already down to 90% occupied. And that's a 20 unit building. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's a much, uh, you, you get diversification when yeah. you can invest in a larger apartment building uh, with with a pool of investors. Yeah. And you also have some, some managers, some experts who are on the ground doing yeah. the work. Um, you know, you can have a, a mix of doing some yourself and yeah. that's what I tend to find a lot of people do. They'll do some themselves and then they, they'll put some in with a, a fund and a limited partnership. Yeah. And I think it kind of, it kind of smooths out the bumps when you have more tenants, let's say a multifamily apartment building, because 
you know, tenants come and go and they leave and, you know, that's all just being averaged out over time. You're not really noticing it in your cash flow and expenses. But if it's a single family rental and that tenant's gone, nobody's paying rent for a month or two or maybe three until you get it re-rented if they trash the place. Yeah, you're you're paying it. So like that's 100% unoccupied. Now, on the other hand, when you have someone there, it's 100% occupied. And I've just seen that as I was analyzing one of my properties that I'm actually listening to sell right now is I kind of went through how many months did I actually have this? Because I had three different tenants in it over five years. And I think I had about eight months. It would really surprise me of how it it was not rented. Um, and so, um, but anyways, it's, uh, that's, that's a great question. I think for those of you that are doing single family properties too, or even like, you know, duplexes, fourplexes, stuff like that, obviously a tenant being out, you'll, you'll feel it more in the short term. We, we're not buying any buildings less than 20 units because of that. Um, and there's certain levels of scale, you know, once you get to 40 or 50 units, you can have an onsite property manager, which really makes your operations better. Um, this is a good example of a project that we've done. This is our 14th project and we just opened this to investors nationally. Um, we've already raised, uh, almost 2 million from 225 investors in Arizona. Mm -hmm. In Arizona, we use Arizona intrastate crowdfunding law. So that's, it's a little different. So this is on what's called a a reg CF, uh, a portal called smallchange.co. Yeah. And we just launched it a few days ago. That's open to investors nationally. It's thousand dollar minimum investment. I can't actually talk about all the details of the project. You have to see it on on the the website. But if you go to smallchange.co, you can see it. You'll you'll see the project there and um, all the terms and everything there. But this is a good example of a partnership project. So okay. there's going to be some cash flow. There's going to be a, a good double digit return to yeah. our investors. And this is right here, core central Phoenix. This is about a mile away from your office. Okay. All right. Cool. So what do you typically do as your hold time? Like how long are you holding these? Does it depend on the market? What's the properties you've already bought and sold? How long did you yeah. hold them for? Two to three years. Oh, really? So that we, fast? Okay. Yeah. All so right. when we renovate a building, it tends to take a year. So your clock example, which I love, by the way, at the beginning, Yeah. I mean, you, you're maybe buying it. I don't know. I know you're not buying at six, but maybe you're buying at seven. You're that that clock's moving fast. Yep. Really, I think for someone that two to three years, um, is that because you you add that value and you kind of hit that number of where yeah. you recognize increased rents and everything? Yeah. So you can do kind of a light touch uh, reposition of the asset. Yeah. We go in and we do the full blown thing. Okay. So this property, for example, the, the average rents are nine seventy five, and when we're done, yeah, based on the comps in the area, it'll be about eighteen hundred per unit. Wow. So we're doubling rent yeah. and we're doing that because the rents in the neighborhood are already high. This building has just been neglected for a long yeah. time. So you're talking new flooring, you're talking uh, washer and dryers, 30 to $40,000 investment per unit. Okay. So um, it takes about a year to, to do the work, to reposition it, to get it leased up to new residents. Then you have a couple of years of cash flow, mm-hmm. And then once we have it operating at that level, that's when we sell it uh, because we've done so much lifting, heavy lifting that we've taken the value from here to here. And yeah. we could continue to hold it for beyond that, but the value increase is, is just incremental. After yeah. that. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to see if there, I don't know if you had any other slides you want to share. Hey, I know yeah, we're the getting la- close. The last thing, um, and I'm going to grab a final question and we'll give our kind of final thoughts here. We do, 
um, have individual projects that uh, folks invest in. We also have some bigger investors who said, hey, I have 200,000 in the stock market and I want to invest it all right now. Yeah. And, you know, our projects, we're raising, you know, 3 million, 2 million. So I don't want to put, you know, half a million dollars into that fundraise. Yeah. So we launched a fund uh, two years ago. It's, uh, we're going to uh, complete fundraising at the end of this year. Um, we have about 40 of our biggest investors are in the fund and the fund invests in all of our projects. Oh, okay. This is only open if you're an accredited investor. So you have to have a million net worth, yeah. not including your home or 200,000 uh, income if you're in a, a single 300,000 if you're married. Yeah. Um, but the great thing is it's a diversified fund. It invests in all of our projects mm. from last year and this year. We're paying um, right now a uh, cash distribution we expected it to be 4% this year, but we've already increased it to 5% because rents are doing so well mm-hmm. on these projects. Okay. You know, the project, the, the fund already has invested in um, seven projects that are okay. existing that are doing well. We expect uh, over the next uh, 2013, 2014 to start liquidating these assets. So you'll get paid back and the, f- and everything would be completed by the end of 2015, 2025, sorry. Okay. And so this is what's called a closed end fund, meaning you'll get all your returns, your initial capital uh, back uh, by the end of 2025 at the latest, if not before then. Okay. And so this has been really popular for some of our uh, investors who want to deploy a little bit more capital. Okay. Um, and then I know we've had a lot of IRAs at directed IRA invest in neighborhood ventures and that's actually, we found them, you know, and so, um, it's just that IRA community and investing. So, um, but of course, you know, do your own due diligence, you know, it's not an endorsement really. We just, I just want Jameson's, Jameson's expertise and want to talk about what they're up to too. So he's got the kiss my asset podcast. Um, your website is neighborhood.ventures. Yep. Right. Okay. So it's neighborhood.ventures. If you just Google neighborhood ventures, you can find We're the only ones. Yeah. That's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we do some cool uh, YouTube stuff. When our properties are in renovation, we go in and do a, an update and show you some of the before yeah. and after our investors love that because you can kind of see where your money's going and you can yeah. see the progress. Um, it's not, it's not, I you, freaking love that. Yeah. Cause that's like why I like self-directing is because you're more connected to your money. You know, it's so to me unsatisfying to just like fill out a form and it just got invested into some mutual fund. I don't even know who's managing it from where it's just on some paper and some statements, zero satisfaction if it does well. Yeah, we have over 200 stakeholders in this project and uh, we view that as a big um, strength of us. Yeah. We don't say, hey, investors, don't call us, just leave us alone, let us send you your money. We're in the process of, of um, rezoning a project out in East uh, Valley that was a hotel that we converted right, to yeah. an apartment. And we have all those investors have signed a petition yeah. for the city to, to uh, rezone it. So yeah. we view that as a strength that we have all these stakeholders. We have investors who drive by the properties and say, hey, I noticed there was, uh, you know, uh, uh, some uh, – so the weeds need to be pulled. Oh, great. Thank yeah. <laughs> we love that. Yeah. We, we're not, you know, uh, they got trying, an eye on it. You yeah. Know? They got an eye on it. And there's we, some, you know, some suspicious people out there. They're going to go talk to them. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> I own this property. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And we, we do say, don't bother the residents, <laughs> yeah. but feel free to drive by it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we, one time when we're picking the, the color of the tile for renovation, we put a, a post out there and says, Hey, which, which one do you like? Yeah. And our investors uh, can be involved in that because 
because uh, we want to pull that information. We want to crowdsource the yeah. best information, and we've got a lot of uh, benefits from that. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, I was going to grab last question here. Sorry, give me one second. Okay, this is a good one. I've, I've had this question quite a bit, actually. Um, this is from Steve. He asks, my retirement account is down 20 to 30%. I was considering rolling over my 401k to a self-directed IRA. What are your thoughts on this strategy? I plan to invest my self-directed IRA into some syndication multifamily deals. Okay. Let, I'll take a stab at this and I'll let you do cleanup and then we'll, <laughs> we'll say adios. But <laughs> um, man, Steve, you are like a lot of people right now. You are, there's a lot of people where you're at, where you've been investing in the stock market and the, the, your account's down. I mean, there's a lot of companies, so don't feel bad. You've got a lot of company with you right now. But they want to do something different. But on the other hand, I don't want to sell when the market's down. You know, we've all been told, you know, sell high. I buy when it's low. I sell when it's high. I don't want to sell low. And I get that. I think people are um, worried about that. And that then it's going to rebound and they're going to miss it. But then on the other hand, they don't really like the stuff that they're in already. So am I going to wait it out? And, and so you've, he's kind of got this decision to make of, do I hold, you know, like your recommendation is, you know, the analyst here, or do I sell? Now he's thinking about doing multifamily. So my thought would be is, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know, Steve. I I don't know. There's two ways to look at it. There really is. We don't know where the stock market's going to go. So let's talk about what we don't know. Eventually, it's going to go up. But when? We don't know. We don't know. Real estate, you know, is kind of like, you know, it, it's, you know, it hasn't gone down in value, at least not here. I mean, it's, there's some softening in some places, but. Well, and historically, you know, the great financial crisis was really the only time real estate has gone down in, in yeah. you know, since the depression. Um, and. Uh, You're going to save me on this answer now? Um, yeah. So what do you think? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Well, I've, I've had that. I mean, I know a lot of people that are wanting to self-direct right now are in Steve's situation of. I really want to buy real estate or invest in a fund or do something besides being 100% invest in the stock market. And the only one thing I've had some clients kind of work their way through is I'm going to peel off 50 grand or I'm going to peel off something. So I'm at least got some diversification. I may like the rest come back, but let me peel off something so that I'm on track doing this, learning it, going down a different path. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, good advice. Um, I, I know there are some some friends of mine and, and investors of mine who do move their money a lot. Yeah, and some are more successful than others. So I don't know, you know, yeah. Steve, if you've had your money in the market for a long time or if it's been there a short amount of time. I do think you know you you are better off if if your money's there, having a long term view. And I do love the diversification of putting some money in a syndication in multifamily, uh, in core growth areas, you yeah. know, the sunbelt, yeah. if, if you do a smiley face across the United States, you know, and not include California, <laughs> but you start in Arizona, it's like more of a smirk across <laughs> yeah, exactly. Texas in, in high growth areas, you know, the, we're, 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 we have a hundred thousand people who move to Phoenix Valley every, every year and yeah. they have to live somewhere. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a great place to put, uh, put money and it's, and it's a good diversification. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. 
Okay. Well, thanks so much, Jameson, for joining us. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. This was recorded. Just a reminder, you'll get a notification if you registered, and it's going to go up at directedira.com slash webinar. We'll also include the slides. We actually had a lot of slides we didn't hit today just because I just got in conversational format with Jameson. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I was loving the conversation. So hopefully you listened. Uh, or sorry, hopefully you enjoyed the presentation today. And we'll be back next month with another Directed IRA webinar. If there's topics you're wanting to cover, things you're wanting to hear more about, please let us know. Um, you can email over the team here, hit marketing at directedira.com. Um, we'd love any of that feedback. And until then, stay calm and self-direct on. <laughs>